0: I'm doing very well, Pam. How about yourself?
1: I'm good. And um, do you ever get on the internet and you just happen to stumble upon a blogger?
0: Yes. And, you know, um, that's kind of one of those things we talk about, right, with a lot of our our survivors about blogging and journaling and things like that. And so, you know, I have. And sometimes y- you'd be amazed at, at what you might just stumble across, right?
1: Yes. Um, well, one day I was... Um, on the internet, probably on company time, but we won't tell the boss. No. Uh, (laughs) So um, I came across a blog and it really hit my heart. As an oncology nurse, um, sometimes we brush things off and um, we think we're doing good for our patients. But we don't get it. And um, I came across Lindsay Norris' um, blog. She is a mom, a registered nurse, and a blogger. And I'm really excited to have her on this week's podcast. Lindsay, how are you today?
2: I am doing really well. Thanks so much for the invitation.
1: Yes. Well, um, you have an incredible story to tell because you can see it from both sides of the port um, as an oncology nurse and then as a patient yourself. Tell our listeners a little bit about what you do and
2: maybe um, your story. Yeah, of course. So I am an oncology nurse. I've been an oncology nurse for quite a while, you know, worked in oncology even before nursing school as an aide and You know, most of my adult life has been surrounding cancer. My mother has stage four breast cancer. All of my patients that I've cared for, um, you know, cancer has not been a stranger to me by any means. But four years ago, I was diagnosed myself with stage three C colorectal cancer. And, you know, no matter how many patients I had these conversations with, Many, how many hands I've held while they heard that news, you know, nothing can prepare you for that provider leaning softly over to you with a hushed voice talking about you. And so um, that is where my cancer experience started. It was shortly after I gave birth to my second child. I had some postpartum symptoms, some GI upset, some hemorrhoids, some uh, you know, mild sciatic nerve pain, all things that you can just, you know, blame on a normal pregnancy, um, that just weren't resolving. So after the weeks went by my follow-up appointments, we just said, Oh, let's just increase your water intake. You know, you're a busy new mom of an infant and a three-year-old, you know, let's take some time to focus on yourself, maybe improve your diet and things like that. We tried that for a little while, but none of my symptoms were resolving. And I saw my primary care doctor, Uh, I think my daughter was about five months old at this point and she had recommended that I see one of the colorectal surgeons that we work with.
1: And your first thought when they told you you needed to go see a surgeon. Well.
2: I said, um, thank you for that recommendation. And I left the office 100% knowing that I was not going to be following up on that. Because
0: I want <laughs> to interrupt you for a second. What yes. is it about nurses?
2: We are the worst.
0: <laughs> you know, and that's what's funny because I've yet to meet a nurse that'll say, Well, they may be the worst, but I'm really not that bad. It's like, (laughs)
2: it's
0: like, was this the first day of nursing school? They told you that you need to be the worst patient. Cause I mean, it's everybody, right?
2: I think that is on day one or at least day two. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I just kind of said, you know, these colorectal surgery team members are the ones I pass in the hallway. The colorectal surgeons nurses are just a couple cubicles over when I'm on my desk day. Like, you know, this is not something you want to go be a burden on your team for, or your peers. And I was just like, you know, these I know these people too well. I'm sure that I can take care of this by, you know, improving my diet and over-the-counter cream, whatever. You know, I, I'm sure that this is not an issue. But after, um, you know, starting to experience even some urgency to go to the bathroom, starting to experience some more symptoms, even mucus in the stool, I... I knew that maybe this was, you know, something that I should follow up on. And after some nudging from my best friend saying that, you know, I was sure complaining a lot without having, you know, taken any action. I said, okay, you're right. Yeah. So I went to go see um, our colorectal surgeon. Um, you know, I fit that appointment in between my meetings that day. I was working um you know, of course, like I said, at the cancer center. So it's not like I had to travel far. I just, you know, put it in my calendar in between everything else on a busy day and expected to uh, maybe have to schedule um, a procedure, maybe something that we could just do in clinic on a different day or something like that, that would have, you know, a a short turnaround time. And, you know, I was kind of annoyed by that thought of, you know, I'm busy. I don't want to take the extra time. Um, But you know, I, I went in there alone, of course, didn't right. feel any need to take somebody with me to an body. appointment, right? Yeah, it was just a normal little, you know, checkup. So he was very kind and talked with me about the history of what I was going through. And, you know, the nurse beforehand had assured me, oh, you know, we see this after pregnancy a lot. And of course they do. And, um, you know, he did an exam and, you know, I could kind of tell his demeanor changing and I kind of get myself dressed or come over to the chair. And he said, you know, I actually feel a mass on your exam. And, you know, I just kind of felt the color drain right out of my face. And I was just like, what? Yo, so a larger internal hemorrhoid? And he was like, no, there's about a five centimeter mass um, that's you know, that's five centimeters up. And, you know, this is something that we should probably go down the hall to get a closer look at. And he was kind of referring to our procedure room, which is just down in the middle of our clinic. And so that's when the nurses that I work with had to give me an enema. They had to get me ready for this procedure where you're up on your knees and you let your imagination do the rest with a large proctoscope. Um, but you know that was just such a surreal experience painful but of course just like this out of body like i can't believe we're really looking into this or this is happening. Um, I was kind of panic texting my husband at that point because my cell phone service isn't really great in the middle of the building where I'm at. And so I could only text him and I was like, can you please come up here? You know, this appointment is not going as expected. I think we had even joked about what I had to do that day on the way out the door this morning. He kind of was like, hey, like good luck today, you know, knowing that I had to go get a rectal exam and um, you know, so yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so he came up and he wasn't too far away and made it there, uh, for the time of the conversation with the f- provider after. And, and just like I said, you know, I've been on these conversations the whole, you know, several times throughout my career, you know, the, the hushed voice, the pursed lips, the clasped hands, you know, I could see the surgeon, Preparing the talk that he had given so many times, and I was just, you know, it's surreal knowing that he was talking about me. Um, We had a lot of planning to do. We had to get ready for radiation um, by... Well, he expected that it was a cancer is what he explained, first of all, in that he explained that most of the time, you know, we go to radiation first, but we had, of course, a lot of things we needed to do first. We had to do CT scans, MRI, and colonoscopy and things like that. So colonoscopy to um, prove the diagnosis, you know, you have to get actual pathology to make sure, you know what you're working with. We did that first, um, a couple of days after, and, um, that kind of set the course from there.
1: And here you are a new mom, a newer mom Mm -hmm. of a five month old. How did that play a role in your diagnosis?
2: Yeah, it was, it was tough. My, um, my kids were both in preschool and daycare that day, you know, and, um, my husband and I went home right after my appointment and just kind of sat on the floor and cried to each other. And, you know, not really quite sure what to do next or how to take the information. Um, we didn't have very many details yet. We didn't know how this was going to affect our family's lives and our kids. And of course your first thought goes to leaving him alone with them and leaving them without a parent and, I remember he made me like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and we sat there and I just kind of stared at it, you know, not bringing myself to eat. And the time kind of passed as we just sat there and it was then time to go pick up the kids. And so, um, you know, of course, my husband offered to go pick them up on his own, but I didn't want to be just sitting at home by myself. So I came to and picking them up, I think, put a little bit more life into me. You know, the rest of the evening was was as normal as it could be. You know, we had dinner, we had bath time, we had playing, we had reading books and, um, you know, it was just what I needed in that moment was to just be around them. And that first night I surprisingly slept like a rock. It must've just been from exhaustion. You know, I didn't, I didn't lay awake wondering or going into a dark place yet. I just don't know if all of the reality had set in even, you know, I, so I slept like a rock that night, but, but the next morning was, was very tough. I, I woke up and went in to wake up my three-year-old and just seeing his calm, sleeping, peaceful little face and just knowing that his entire world was just about to be turned upside down was, was really tough. And I think that's the first time you know, that it really hit me.
1: That has to be hard with little kids that may not understand. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm sure that brought you to a conversation that you had to have with your son at three years old. I hear Mm -hmm. a lot of times, well, I don't know how to talk to my kid. Um, I don't want to scare them. But um, from my experience, sometimes being truthful, giving them what they need is the most important thing. How did that conversation go with your son?
2: Um, you make a very good point about being truthful and that was something that was so important to me. First of all, every kid is different. I'm not going to say that a parent doesn't know their kid the best, but I really feel like being honest with them, giving them you know that much credit that they, they could handle and take on and understand way more than we even realize was really important for us. And my son at three was super inquisitive. And so um, I think I told him after all of the scans and everything was back, just because I wanted to know how to um, set the conversation up. If the scans showed that I'm covered head to toe, you know, we're going to have a different conversation. Um, you know, but my scans showed the tumor there with several lymph nodes right around in the perirectal fat, but no distant metastases or any other structures involved. So, um, That's thankfully we- i yes, that was a big relief and I felt empowered by that. Um, the plan was starting to come together. And so, um, we said, you know, it was kind of time to talk to talk to my son. Um of course my 5-month-old daughter doesn't really need to be a part of that conversation. She just, you know, needed to be loved and cared for, but my son was going to notice the biggest change for sure. Um we actually had tickets to a baseball game that weekend. Um and of course one of my first thoughts was, oh, we'll skip that. That's too much to do right now, but we we went anyway, and I'm really glad we did. Um, it was just a really lovely day full of distraction and great weather. And um, so we soaked that in, and then we went home to talk with my son. And I remember it being very important to me to use the word cancer. You know, I didn't want to just say, Mommy's sick. Um, if I had a poor outcome and we just told him I was sick. You know, what was he going to think the next time my husband had a cold and he said, I'm sick or a grandparent, you know, I wanted to to understand that this was different without, you know, putting too much fear in him, but just say, this is a different type of owie. It's called a cancer. I need to take very special, strong medicine. That's going to make me feel very yucky. And I may need a lot of extra rest and he took it all in stride, he did really great and asked a lot of developmentally appropriate questions. Just being the inquisitive kitty is, and um, he said, you know, is it dark in surgery or is it light? Or am I gonna have a surgery? Or can I see a cancer, owie? Or you know, and so lots of questions and his wheels turning and. We got him a little doll that has a, an ostomy, so he could kind of see, you know, what to expect for me. We knew that I was going to have a permanent ostomy from the start, just with how low my tumor was. So that was something that, you know, he may catch a glimpse of or understand is different. And so, um, you know, we really tried to be straightforward with him and honest, um, but also keep his life as normal as possible, you know, it's kind of like normalizing the abnormal. So things aren't going to be quite the same, but it's all okay and it's still normal and we're still who we are. I also made sure to use some of my health systems resources um, with the child life specialist with our, um, you know, with our program that did some play therapy with him. And, you know, we just wanted to make sure that we gave him all that was available, but you know, he was just not that long ago saying oh mom do you think that you'll get cancer always again and you know the conversations come up every once in a while still you know it's not everyday conversation like it used to be but you know it still comes up and I said gosh buddy I sure hope not you know we watch me very closely. My doctors are very careful to make sure to check. And and he's like, well, people sure did bring us a lot of desserts. So, Yeah. So yeah. So now I'm thinking, Oh, okay. So his memory of me having cancer is friends bringing desserts. And so, you know, it's going to be interesting as he gets older to have him kind of share with us what his experience was or what his memory of it is. But um you know, I'm, I'm just thankful I'm here to see it.
0: <laughs> you got it's very apparent you guys uh, put a lot of thought into how you were going to share, um, as to maybe the consequences of certain verbiage or uh, terminology. I mean, it's it's uh, I've i have never had to do that, and I can only imagine the discussions between yourself and your husband leading up to that of how do we describe this and how do we describe that? And sure. it was very smart, like you said, for pulling in um, child life and so forth. We, as a part of our foundation, I ha- have children's miracle network that works with child life specialists and those folks are amazing with kids. Yes.
2: Oh my gosh. I have to agree. They, they just know what to do and what to say. And I mean, the biggest gift I think that she gave us was not only caring for my son and Helping him with those resources.
0: Oh, I've lost you.
2: I, uh, I started a blog because I was getting a lot of texts and Facebook messages and emails just of people... Um, wanting to check in, seeing how the last appointments were, you know, there was a lot of things leading up to the start of treatment. You know, I had to get um, my ovary surgically uh, moved up out of the way of radiation. I had to get mapped for radiation. I had to do a couple of immunizations and I had to, you know, it wasn't, um, and it not typically is, it wasn't like you get diagnosed one day and then you start treatment the very next day, you know, and some certain blood cancers, maybe that's the case, but, you know, there was some planning involved. And so, um, you know, there was a lot of questions that were coming And I just wanted to create a space where I could give updates and share it with friends and family that um, had some details. You know, I'm the medical person in my family. So usually I'm the one that, you know, gives the more detailed um, account of what's going on anyways. And so, you know, my husband's getting lots of texts because people didn't want to bother me. And then he's trying to say, like, I don't know these terms or I don't really remember what the doctor said about this and. Um, I've always enjoyed writing um, I had a traumatic birth experience with my son and um, I remember I, I wrote it all out kind of longhand my experience on his first birthday to kind of help process and I remember kind of thinking like you know that was really helpful for me and really cathartic to kind of lay it all out there whether I shared it or not and so I was like well I'll start writing and it started like I said just as to update on appointments and how they went and what the plan- plan was just kind of like logistics. People were asking about a meal train and how they can help and and if they wanted to babysit and things like that. So um, one day when my kids were napping, it was a Sunday afternoon, you know, the, the thoughts of how this may change me as a nurse kept running through my mind and I just, you know, I'm I'm a people pleaser. I'm a worrier. I wondered if I could have done something better or different for our patients from before, you know, for my patients before. And if I said anything that was offensive or dismissive, I was really worried about that. And, you know, I just kept thinking about my patients and that I just felt so bad that I didn't get it. Like, I didn't truly get what it felt like to hear the words. I didn't get what it felt like. To have this diagnosis and try to somehow fit that square box into your round life. It just wasn't what I expected it to be, even after all of my experience that I thought I had with it. So um, just kind of like word vomit, for lack of a better word, I just kind of started writing a letter to my patients this afternoon. that afternoon. And um, it all just came out really quickly. And just my apology letter is what I call it. And, you know, I know that I did what I could and I don't think that I was a bad nurse before I had cancer. And I certainly don't think that you have to have cancer to be an amazing nurse. Mm -hmm. Um, but it did, it changed me and I couldn't deny that. So I, I wrote it all out, a letter to my patients and I shared it. And that's when, my blog got a little bit more of attention. You know, first I knew that my coworkers would like it, you know, because I had already had a couple of them approach me. Like, if you hear me say something stupid on the phone to a patient or it sounds bad, please interrupt me and let me know. Or, you know, they're asking me like, well, do you think I shouldn't have brought this up? Or do you think I should offer this? And, you know, they're, you know, we as a group, are like a work family, of course, like many are, and so we were all going through this together. You know, it touched one of us. Like, what do we do now? And so um, I knew that they would enjoy it, and of course, I knew my family would like it because they're supportive and they love anything that I do. But um, I think when I was on the phone having an interview with People Magazine, I was kind of like, well, maybe this has reached a few more people, and that was really touching to me. You know, reaching oncology professionals, nurses in general, anyone in general was really special. But then to hear the patients sending me emails and commenting that, you know, they they felt heard or I put into words what they they just couldn't say or they feel understood, you know, that was that was just so special. And so that kind of triggered me to write more of my feelings. And, um, you know, I'm not a weekly blogger by any means. It's not something I crank out every couple of days. It's just, um, it's just when the mood hits, I guess, (laughs) or when a, when a thought hits. Did you find that
1: uh, therapeutic writing out what you were feeling?
2: Really was. It, it really helped me process it. Um, Just this morning, because I knew we would be talking about it a little, I kind of pulled up a couple of my old things just to kind of glance and I remember it, of course, but like word for word, I certainly don't. And it's almost just like rereading something I had read before. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't feel like me and maybe it isn't me anymore because it was somebody in a different state. You know, I was worried. I was scared. I didn't know if this was going to be my legacy, just the last letters I could leave to people or the last thoughts that would be documented. And, um, you know, it's really special for me to write it out because it helped in the moment. And it's really special to look back on too.
0: Sure. sure. You, Do know, you know
1: how many um, views you
2: got on that blog, that one blog? Oh, on the blog specifically on my site, I think there was like 1.7 million hits. 1.7 of views. million. Wow. Wow. But that, um, but thankfully it had been picked up by, um, a couple of different news outlets and sites and things too, that shared it on their platform. So it's a little difficult to know the, the total number,
0: but Yeah. very you know, cool. We always talk about with our survivors that, um, you know, it changes them as a person and you have the interesting aspect where it not only changed you as a person, but also changed you professionally. And, you know, really, uh, um, how, how much would you say going through this, you know, uh, totally changed the way you go about your professional life?
2: Uh, the biggest thing that has changed from my approach to patient care is not shying away from the tough questions. Um, I think it's something that I didn't, um, do on purpose before, you know, it, it wasn't conscious that I, you know, wanted to avoid these type of conversations and I certainly wouldn't rush people, but I, I wasn't always brave enough to say like, well, what's your biggest fear right now? Or what is your biggest roadblock or how are you feeling when you're at home, you're Seeming to handle it well in here, but how is it going at home? And um, opening up those conversations has really been important for me and my patients. You know, I want them to feel like being here is a safe place. They don't have to worry about taking care of me like they do with their families at home, especially the young moms. You know, they're still just trying to fulfill all of their family's needs and. You know, being a safe place where you can get some of that out um, has really led to some important conversations and maybe getting a patient connected with a supportive service that, you know, they might not have known was available had we not um, asked some of those tough questions. And, um, you know, I think before I wasn't um, as good about bringing things up. Because I think as a patient, it's a little scary, too, you know.
1: And as a nurse, sometimes you don't always have the answer. And so I think that's a scary part of the nursing aspect, because you're going to ask the tough questions, but what if you don't know the answers?
2: Exactly. Yeah, I think nurses are really amazing at what they do, but um, they're... They may want to have an answer like we're fixers, of course, you know, like we want to have a patient come to us with something and we want to fix it. So um, kind of stepping back from that and letting patients come to us with some of the things that aren't as easily fixable um, is just as important.
0: You know, Pam, going back to one of our previous episodes where we talked with a, a social worker about, communication and talking about how important it is for survivors to communicate with their medical team and their physician and their family and, and, and to encouraging them to ask the tough questions. You know, Lindsay is in the office asking the tough questions of the patient. Right. And I mean, it's almost like in those cases, the the role is a little reversed. I, I would think that patients um, would be very lucky to have a nurse um, like Lindsay asking those tough questions because then it's kind of like, Oh, yeah, I, I am. And I guess maybe you, you probably can think back to pre-cancer, these conversations now that you're having with patients, um, you are probably fixing more things than are maybe previously weren't being brought up.
2: Yeah, I think it does bring to light some of the not-so-talked-about things. Um and I experience it myself. I'm guilty of it. I, I'm supposed to know all the right questions to ask, and I'm supposed to be the best patient. We've already established I am not. But even in my oncology visits now, you know, he's asking, How are things? And I'm like, Good, thanks. And then you know I'm I'm a little nervous, and we have a great relationship, but I'm still a little nervous to take up more of his time. I know that I know that he has a busy schedule. I don't want to open up a can of worms, but you know I st- I still have lasting effects from chemotherapy and from radiation, and I still have anxiety that lingers about recurrence, and I still have a lot of things that's worth talking about. Um, but you know sometimes it's not as easy to bring it up, so you know, being a patient advocate and kind of helping them feel empowered to bring some of those conversations up, I think is really important. And one of the biggest things that I try to do is bring light to how hard survivorship is. I don't by any means wanted to diminish the experience that, you know, our stage four patients go through or our chemo for life patients go through. Um, I can't personally relate to that because I haven't experienced it, but I've, I've experienced being taken off of chemo and being told, okay, I'll see you in three months. And that was the scariest part of it all way scarier than day one because I had been seen weekly. I was physically sitting in that chemotherapy chair doing something to fight against this cancer. And now I'm just, you know, being told to go ring this bell and everyone's clapping for you and, and everyone else is happy. But I was not, I was, I was saying, well, are you sure that like, I literally asked, would it be harmful to me to just take chemo every month? I don't know. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's, it's, you, you get used to that, that routine. And then, um, you f- think that it's supposed to be happy for this treatment to end and to ring the bell and to move on. And everyone around you is, is so excited and it's just really hard to meet them there.
1: <laughs> and this, um, reminds me of that roller coaster ride we talk about often, you know, patients are diagnosed and then it's, They get on this roller coaster ride and they go full blast and then they get done with treatment. And it's now what Um, I can very vividly remember a patient crying because she didn't want to not come back in three months um, because she was scared. Somebody was looking at her. So I totally understand what you're saying.
0: Yeah, you know, Pam, several of the the things that as we've talked with Lindsay and our listeners are probably gone, oh, yes, I know exactly that feeling. And oh, yes, I remember that. And oh, yes. And oh, yes. And it keeps going on and on. Um, you know, to hear Lindsay, you say about uh, your experience being the absolute worst transitioning from end of treatment into this anxiously awaiting the next visit and so forth, really, again, validates kind of what we do at our survivorship program. And, you know, I know Pam hears it. I hear it a lot of, I I, I feel lost. And that's exactly kind of, you know, can I just take one more chemo? And, my, and some people are probably going, why in the world would you want just one more? But the, if you've not been there, you can't really explain mm-hmm. that. And that's tough.
2: Yes. I remember the first time I had, a chemo delay and it was only my second cycle of chemo. And so, you know, you stroll in, I'm like, hey, I did pretty good on cycle one. You know, I'm feeling pretty confident. And then my labs weren't good enough to have chemotherapy that day. I was literally sitting in the chair with like some pancakes I had brought in, you know, my friend came with me and and the nurse came in and said, I'm sorry, you know, your counts are too low. We're going to have to delay a week. And I was like, what? You know, that, that's, that was such a mind trick to, you know, f- of course, I should be glad to not have to get chemotherapy today and to feel good for another week. But no way, like, that's pushing back that end of treatment date that I had already marked in my calendar. That's delaying everything. That's, you know, I'm worried that, you know, having a few extra days off of chemo is going to make a big difference in my prognosis or my, you know, eventual outcome. And, uh, you know, that's not something I was very prepared for that I feel like was talked about very much either is just to expect delays. Like they will happen. I think I was delayed after that three more times. So like four out of my, you know, eight cycles or something was, um, you know, for something bowel obstruction, infection. You know, labs. I was just, you know, after a while, I was like, I'm not even looking at the calendar <laughs> because it's, you know, and as a planner, you know, that's something that you have to kind of give control of.
1: <laughs> it's uh, if you're a type A personality, that's hard, um, very hard. I sure. no, no control, and cancer has that control of um, over your life at this point hmm. So you went through treatment and um, had surgery and you are cancer free.
2: Yes. 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 I just passed four years on the 23rd of January. So very thankful for that.
1: And is it hard? And, um, you know, like we talk about survivorship, is it hard to identify yourself as a survivor?
2: Yes. Yeah, so I've written about this before, too. I um did not like calling myself a cancer survivor for a very long time. Um, I felt the word brought on a type of jinx to it. You know, if I'm calling myself a cancer survivor when I don't know still if that's going to be true or not, um, felt like I was kind of testing it. And so um, it just didn't sit with me, but nothing really did. You know, I saying, oh, well, I was treated for cancer is a little wordy. And then, you know, just nothing, you know, I had cancer doesn't feel appropriate. I don't think it feels like it was in past tense yet. And so I just kind of had this identity crisis until I started realizing, you know, that calling myself a survivor is not really about me. It's about others. You know, it's about people diagnosed after me and seeing that as being a possibility to be cancer-free someday. It's about honoring those who did not have that outcome. It's about um, empowering others to, you know, keep going and to take it one day at a time, even one minute at a time if you have to, because you survived that day. And, um, you know, it doesn't need to be this ultimate big win over cancer, you know, you don't win or lose over cancer. It's just becomes a part of who you are, you know. That's why a lot of us feel quite triggered when we hear that somebody lost their battle. You know, that's that's not something that a lot of cancer patients, you know, feel comfortable with saying because, you know, it's not like they had any choice or that they could have done something different. Um, you know, so I think it's interesting to talk with a lot of my cancer friends and even patients about how they identify with some of those titles or or phrases. And, um, you know, that's something to me that I finally do feel comfortable with calling myself a cancer survivor because, um, you know, I think it's important to – to know that um, you know that that doesn't mean that you're focusing on the outcome um it doesn't mean that you have passed step a and you've reached something it just means that you're doing it and you're still doing it and you're going to continue to as long as you're able so
0: Lindsay, one thing i'd like to ask um you, you touched on this a couple of times about um It seemed like you guys, you and your husband and your family tried to keep your life. Of course, you had a a fairly young child um, to keep you busy, but you tried to keep your life as normal as could be. And you had a few distractions built in, you know, the baseball game. And you mentioned a few other things. Mm And and so we do a lot of those kinds of things at the survivorship center. But I'm curious, once you kind of um, progressed through your treatment and you, you were finished with treatment, were there any activities or anything that you found, obviously journaling we talked about, but were there any other activities or anything that you found therapeutic or helpful? Uh,
2: I really think that at first, um, spending time with family was so important to me. I um, Everybody's knee-jerk reaction to when I was first diagnosed was, um, oh, well, I, I can come take the kids for the weekend so you can get rest, or I'll come watch the kids, or I'll bring the kids to go to a park for a while and you can get rest. And, you know, I know they were coming from a great place, but my you know, my nerves ramped up and I finally like blurted out to my husband one day, I was like, if one more person says they're going to come and take my kids away from me, I'm going to lose my mind. Um, and so back to your question, something that helped after is just getting back to the energy that I wanted to have with them before and going out and having a nice Saturday, of course, prior to COVID, um, in going to the park or going to uh, a restaurant and going to just feel like I was out of the house and that I didn't have to be trapped any longer. Um, and, you know, that was just really important to kind of go and go on those little adventures together as a family, um, little road trips and things like that. That's where I feel the most, quote, normal, because, you know, it just feels good to go floating down a river or camping or drive down to the beach. And, um, you know, those are the things that I daydreamed about through treatment. Um, still getting um, a big milestone for me was my son starting kindergarten. And I still get emotional thinking about it because one of my very first thoughts after being diagnosed and looking at, you know, a three-year-old um, I just wanted to have a little more time. I didn't know how much that was going to be. I didn't know if it was going to be a full lifetime, but I really wanted to see him start kindergarten. And I remember going to kindergarten roundup and meeting some of the teachers and, and literally thinking, Oh, these are going to be the women in his life that are like a daily influence. And I'm okay with this. Like these teachers seem really nice. I'm thinking of like replacing me as you know, an adult woman loving figure in his life. And, you know, that was just such a surreal feeling to be like, oh, good. They're so nice. That's okay. (laughs) You know, and then, um, and then we made it a little longer and a little longer. And I start, you know, I got to see him start kindergarten. And now my daughter's starting kindergarten this year, He's three years younger. And so, you know, it's those little moments that um, really, that really hit me.
1: Is there anything as a nurse you learned about how important it is to share about resources? Resources available? Yes.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's um, a really big part of what I do now. Excitingly, I started a new role in March where I am um, our health systems, um, our cancer center resource um, program coordinator. So I get the privilege of speaking with patients and um, getting to talk with them a little bit bigger picture about how their treatment is fitting into their life. And, you know, patients can come with me uh, or come to me with questions about, you know, what is it? best to eat throughout my chemotherapy if I have a low appetite, or I want to meet more people like me, or what can I provide for my kids who are really having a hard time coping, Um, you know, really helping them fit this into their lives. And educational resources, community resources within our health system and outside of it are, um, are really important to a cancer patient's experience, and even our supportive services, um, I don't think, you know, just across oncology in general are used enough, you know, dietary psychology, all of those things, you know, um, patients can really benefit from.
0: Absolutely. You know, it's one of the things we talk about, too, is um, if you don't ask or you don't uh, bring it up, then the providers... Or yourself in that role don't know to help you. There are resources out there, and I know we encourage mm-hmm. our survivors a lot to just ask, you know. Um, and I yes. know that I know that's very hard, um, but now you're able to provide the resources that you knew or know of, things that you used, um, and provide that. It's it's so so beneficial.
2: Yeah, I'm really enjoying that role. It's really really fulfilling to. Kind of get to focus on all of those needs and, and helping them f- find that stride did you
1: find it also hard to relate to other cancer um, patients because you were so young um, you're a mom you're just trying to get through everyday life but here you got thrown the cancer diagnosis did you find that hard
2: Um, Initially, I did. Um, I felt like I was the youngest person here. I didn't really, um, you know, relate to the same storyline or the same struggles um, that some of the patients surrounding me did, especially in the colon world. Uh, um, The little, you know, the more I dug, I, uh, I found some other women who were young moms like me with similar diagnoses, and um, that's what what really turned it around for me. Um, You know, I think at first I was looking at some of the support group um, offerings or some of the classes, you know, like yoga for cancer patients or cooking on chemo. You know, some of these things are all at 10 a.m. on a Thursday, and I'm like, I'm working. You know, a lot of these young patients with cancer are working and they're busy and they they don't really stay after their appointments to go roam around the resource center or learn a little bit more. They're rushing off to pick up their kids or their next meeting. And so that's um, one of my goals is to kind of open up. And actually, COVID has helped this a lot, um, open up some of those virtual resources and maybe um you know, meetings by Zoom or some things that are a little bit more accessible for people who are on the go or, um, you know, living those younger, busy lives with small kids and um, finding that group. For me, it was just it was just organic. I met one through one of the nurse practitioners that worked on my team because she thought that, you know, this other patient and I had a lot in common and that we should connect. And then there was another one and then there was another one. And then, uh, you know, they kind of jokingly call it the Lindsay Norris referral um, in the colorectal team. Um, If they have a a young new mom or somebody young and, you know, of course it's not a requirement, but, you know, they, um, they ask if they want to meet with some others that are like us and, you know, Shortly after, there was eight of us meeting at a Starbucks, and you know, all young moms in our third, in their thirties and forties, all stage three and four colorectal cancer, and so um, finding people that you can relate to in this mess is is just uh, indescribable. It's really, really been the light in all of this.
0: You know what I'm hearing, Pam, is uh, Lindsay is a mentor, mm-hmm. and- has been a mentor and continue to be a mentor. Um, one of the cool things, uh, that, that our listeners need to know about a resource that we have at the survivorship center is partnering with fourth angel, um, to be, uh, partnered up with someone who, uh, unlike maybe in, in Lindsay's case where maybe you might run into that person at the grocery store or something like that. We have partnered with fourth angel where they match up, um, a uh, like my a like cancer with about the same demographics, and it may be someone who lives in Chicago. And uh, there's texting and emailing and, ver- and you know maybe even a, a, a Zoom or something like that. But it's it's entirely uh, confidential, and they go through a background check and they go through some training so they know that they can't they're not supposed to tell you well I read this on the internet or it's all personal. <laughs> on the internet. And, um, yeah. And so being a mentor is huge to have someone to, to, to lean on. And something else I picked up too, Pam, Lindsay, Lindsay talked about virtual things and we have a ton of virtual stuff for our survivors, as well as this cool podcast that Lindsay's on today. And so, yeah, we're trying to, to, to flex a little bit out and, and, uh, pivot and and reach out to the younger crowd because you are busy and you're dealing with, um, different life stages and going through, um, Cancer at the same time, and the last thing you want to do, right? I I think, um, is is sit there and and go to a yoga class. You want to go home with your family, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, but I
1: think another thing we have to realize is that we have so many resources here at the center that are for free, that meet probably every age group possible.
0: That's right. That's right, Uh, Lindsay. You know, uh, your story is is very touching and I know um, resonates with a lot of our listeners. Um, you know, we we like to end our podcast uh, with with what we call Pete's powerful moment. And we're sponsored by Pete's Car Smart Kia here in Amarillo. And um, gosh, I, I I can only imagine what your powerful moment will be. <laughs> would you would you share one with us? I know you probably have um, a plethora, but if you don't mind sharing a, a Pete's powerful moment with us, we'd appreciate that.
2: Yeah, I would love that. And I love that you end your podcast with stories like this. And like you said, I could choose from a lot of big, move, you know, moments that were really powerful. Um, But, you know, something that I experienced early on, and I can't help but choose something about my kids. Um, So if you noticed earlier when we were talking a lot of how I... um, helped my kids and things like that. You know, a lot of it was about my son because he was three and he had a lot of questions and things like that. So my powerful moment is this, um, hard to admit, but when I was diagnosed with cancer, I think I pushed my daughter away a little bit and it wasn't because I didn't love her. Of course I loved her dearly, but it was because I was protecting my heart and it was already too much to think about leaving my husband and my son. And, um, she was so young and I had to stop breastfeeding and I had to, you know, not be up with her in the middle of the night because I couldn't do it and I was too tired. And I just felt like I was missing out on some of that bonding time with her at the beginning. And, you know, just the other night, and of course things stair-stepped back up and I was doing well. And I, I can now say, I just, had a moment the other night where she called for me in the middle of the night because she felt sick and needed a drink of water. And I walked in and rubbed her back and gave her a drink. And she, you know, gave me a hug. And I said, you know, this is it. And this is what I might have not been here for. And so my powerful moment is is just in those little moments that I know that I, I could have missed and that I am just so thankful to be here to see.
1: We're thankful that you're here too. Where can people find your blog app?
2: I am at www.herecomesthesun927.com.
1: And I encourage all of our listeners to go out there and read Lindsay's blog. There's um, lots of good information and I will admit some tear jer- jerking moments, but um, I think everybody should go out there.
0: I would highly recommend it, Pam. You're right. You're absolutely right. Um, a lot of good information out there on Lindsay's blog. And um, gosh, you know, I, th- I feel like we could go on for two more hours uh, uh, visiting with, with you, Lindsay, but, but I, I appreciate you being on our podcast today. Um, I, you know, sharing from your heart, Sharing, you know, um, from your past and in enlightening some of our listeners and especially, too, for what you do for your patients uh, there in Kansas and what you would also do, um, you know, uh, to help out with all the resources that you guys have.
2: Well, thank you so much. It's been such an honor to speak with you and to even learn more about your survivorship program. I'm taking notes over here. So it sounds like you've got uh, some wonderful resources and, um, you know, really enjoy hearing about what you're doing down there and would love to stay in touch.
0: Absolutely. And
2: where can they find information about the Survivorship Center?
0: You know, Pam, our survivors or anyone listening to the podcast can definitely uh, find us on the Internet at the number 24survivorship.org. And they can always give us a call at 806-331-2400. Uh, they're going to get either uh, Penny or they're going to get you. And, uh, I, you know, we, we have the best staff in the world. And uh, they're able to answer questions, um, you know, always to, to assist and, and, and do sort you know, what Lindsay does is provide resources and, and help out. And, you know, we, we, we want to come alongside you along your cancer journey, no matter where that is, from diagnosis through the treatment and then beyond. And uh, as you hit it on the head, Pam, 100% of it is entirely free, Uh, no charge whatsoever. Doesn't matter if you have insurance, doesn't matter if you're treated uh, in town, out of town, if you live in the Texas panhandle, we have resources for you. Uh, And speaking of resources, you're listening to one right now. Uh, We always like to say, please hit the buttons, right? Share it, download the podcast, uh, pass this along, uh, give us a rating. Uh, We definitely want uh, to hear from you guys if you also have some uh, ideas or other uh, topics for us, right, Pam? Yes. Absolutely. Well, Lindsay, thank you again for joining us on Beyond the Ribbon. And uh, we thank everyone for listening. And uh, we'll be back next week with another great guest. Have a good one. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Beyond the Ribbon. Make sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and follow us on social media for news and updates. If you'd like more information about the 24 Hours in the Canyon Cancer Survivorship Center, please visit our website, 24survivorship.org. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week.